Welcome to Godpod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Well, hello. We are here for Godpod number 45. And uh, wherever you're listening to this, um, I hope you're having a great day. Uh, today, uh, well, if you want to picture the scene, we are in um, HTV in a little room called The Spring, surrounded by blue steps. Uh, and there's just three of us and here a piano, today. A piano, Don't and a piano. A piano. And a piano. And a piano. And a pile of Bibles and a pile of biscuits in the middle and some coffee, as usual. Uh, but we're down to the, the good old team today. Not so old. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> Not the so good either. The bare bones, which is um, me, Graham Tomlin, and Jane. Hello. Uh, Jane Williams and Mike Lloyd. Hello. So it's just us today, no guests. Um, Undiluted. A bit like the old days, isn't it? It is. Yes, yes. yes. Exactly right. So, um, yeah. So we're, so we're going to go off on a couple of questions today. And uh, Mike, I thought you could say a couple of tangents. <laughs> that as well. We should probably do that as well. <laughs> we'll definitely do that. We, we never stop doing that. Yeah. But actually, Mike has just had his, um, his, his book oh, reissued. That's true. Mike, tell us all about your book. Uh, well, this is Cafe Theology. Um, and uh, thankfully, various people seem to have um, been misled into Buying purchasing it, it yes. <laughs> And therefore, um, it's running out of the old copies. And so we've done a new one with a new cover and um, with one or two new little bits in it, like a little oh. bit of St. John of the Cross. And Excellent. A little bit of Bart, oh. a little bit of that sort of thing. Um, and lots also of references in, to Jane. Lots of references to Jane. And, and no references and you can to me. Tell. I'm rather offended by this, Mike. No, there you, aren't you didn't pay enough, Graham. This is his product placement. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but you can tell that there are no references uh, to Graham, which is maybe something you check before you buy a book, yeah. uh, and that there are references to Jane, which may also be something you check before you buy a book, from the fact that it has a, an index at the back, which the yes. previous one didn't, and it's it's rather impressive. It makes it look as if I've read some pe- some people's writings, yeah. which <laughs> I never realised I'd read that much. Yeah, so, so that's the, quite encouraging. The Lloyd attempt to educate the masses in theology is. Progressing fast, and Indeed. it's a wonderfully attractive-looking cover. It looks either like um, the kind of novel that you want to read on holiday, with kind of seaside and that kind of thing, and it's also a nice sort of cappuccino colour. It so, is a cappuccino. Yeah. So if you spill something on it, it won't, <laughs> it won't show. show. <laughs> you could really exactly. take it to a cafe, which is helpful. So if you're listening to this, you might want to get hold of the new edition of Cafe Theology, published yes. by Alpha Publications. Thicker how, but how lighter than the last one. Lighter, but it's sort of fatter, isn't it? Fatter, fatter but lighter. Yes. Yeah, and okay. and it's very nice font too. It's very easy. It's nice to look at that. See, it's very. But you can't see it, of course. But <laughs> Jane and Graham can. can. Anyway, there we go. So that's uh, Mike's news. Um, Jane, you're all right. I've got a, a cold, so I might be sniffling and coughing yeah. slightly, and I apologise for that. But um, no, okay. I'm otherwise fine. Yeah, well, that's fine. Ill. At least people listening to this won't catch the germs. We will. But, um... So next time it'll be Graham and Mike coughing <laughs> right, and sniffling. They may catch the memes, of course. <laughs> oh, the memes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's right, that happens anyway. So we are, we're going to um, tackle a number of questions that have been emailed in from various uh, listeners to GodPod. And uh, the first one is um, one that came from, she's last year, almost a year ago this one question came in. We do get around to them quite quickly, don't we, eventually? <laughs> but um, uh, this is one that came from Douglas Barrett Wilkinson, 
And I don't know where. Oh, no, he, he comes from Rochdale. There you are. Yeah, which, um, if you're listening to this in another country, is up in the north of England. Um, and the question on this is, um, says, thank you for the very interesting and helpful God Pods. That's a good start. Read that bit again, Greg. <laughs> thank you for the very interesting and helpful God Pods. <laughs> so he says, would you comment on the rather dubious expression, the unconditional love of God? Uh, is John 3.16 the gospel? And my commentaries and helps don't address the translation and context of the verse, so I'd value some help. So um, it's, a, it's a phrase you often hear, I guess, in church circles, sermons, and talks about the faith, the idea that the, the, the unconditional love of God. And I guess the question is, is, is that right? Is that an accurate statement? Is God's love entirely unconditional? Or actually, are there conditions on it? So, um, yeah. I've just been reading The Shack, which I'm sure everybody else yeah, yeah. Has, has read um, ages ago. And so all my um, theology is, is at the moment being filtered through through the lens of that. Um, and I think The Shack is right, that God's love is unconditional. God loves us, whatever we do. Oh. That doesn't mean that oh. God wants us to stay the way we are. Um, but that there is nothing we can do that will make God stop loving us oh. seems to me a theological truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think the love is unconditional. You cannot found God's love on anything. Um, it's not on anything in us. Otherwise, it becomes something that you becomes something that becomes makes you anxious. That you mm. am I going to make it? Am I going to achieve God's love? Uh, and the whole goodness of of that the, the belief that God is love is that uh, that is not the case. We don't have to earn it. It is a given. It is something we respond to, not something we work towards. Hmm. Um, now, as as you say, Jane, that doesn't mean uh, that God doesn't want to change this. It doesn't mean that God is able to do for us everything that he would like to do without our cooperation, without our being prepared to receive it. Um, hmm. So what is it that people find dubious about the phrase? What is it? What is the fear hmm. of, of what we will or won't do if we think that God loves us Well, I suppose it's the... I'm just thinking of, as I always do, <laughs> what would Luther think about this? <laughs> it's either that or Bristol... Bristol City. City, isn't I it? I get it right. And this time I don't think Bristol Luther. City have got many opinions on theology, actually, but Luther did. Or okay. unconditional love, no, actually. <laughs> Not in this right. room, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> they are a hard, hard mistress, Bristol City. Um, but... Um, I suppose it's, you know, Luther, you know, often talks in very sort of bold terms and talks of, you know, and for him there is this, this clear distinction between um, faith and mistrust of God. Yeah. And, uh, and he will talk about how God is opposed to those who refuse to trust him. And it's that kind of language, I suppose, that you, I mean, it's not just Luther, of course, it's, it's, um, uh, put in in slightly different language, but but other other theologians that, that wants to say, you know, yes, in one sense, God's love is is unconditional. Yet um, there are distinctions to be made within human beings between those who who, who will um, receive and accept and trust God and those who refuse to do so, and therefore do those people therefore receive God's love. Uh, and so, therefore, is the reception of God's love conditional on faith? I guess that's the question. 
Now that's, I think, what of maybe lie behind this question. I, so. I, th- I think that's that's very true, but that is a different question. Yeah. The, the the love is always there, and it is always offered. Yeah. Um, whether or not it is received. Mm. Um, will depend on our response mm. and, and precisely mm. because God mm. loves us he won't force us precisely because yeah. love respects mm. the freedom of the other but I suspect that that's why people get anxious about it because you know sometimes you can talk about the unconditional love of God and it can give the impression that well God loves everybody whatever they do and it's fine anyway mm. so it doesn't really matter what you do and to that extent it can become a kind of license to live as you want and God loves you anyway and it'll all be fine um, but it's it's odd that we use that kind of language in relation to God, whereas we wouldn't use it in relation to any other relationship, would we? Hmm. I mean, to be loved unconditionally by your husband or wife hmm. doesn't mean that you then treat them like dirt, does it? Hmm. Quite uh, quite the contrary, actually. The more you're loved by somebody, the more you long to yeah. Yeah, to be worthy of that love, surely. Yeah. Uh, and I think we, we're very weird in the way that we hmm. treat God's, the relationship with God yeah. as though it has no nothing in common with yeah, other yes. kinds of relationships. Yeah. And, and I think what you were saying, Graham, about Luther, you know, the times when God is in opposition to us. I mean, if we are mm. doing something mm. unjust or something unkind, mm. then mm. God is opposed to us in the sense that we are doing that, in, in, to, mm. to the extent that we are doing that. Mm. But that opposition is not in any way in conflict with his love, any more than it is when I may be in, in opposition to something that somebody I love wants to do, because I think it's wrong. And diminishes and, them. And diminishes them. And part, yeah. part yeah. of my love for them is opposing that. Yeah. And m- maybe that's yeah. part of the problem, that we have a slightly sens- sentimental view of love sometimes. Yes. Yeah. That you know, the, the unconditional love can sound like the sort of general, you know, the nice friendly uncle who sort of um, views everyone with bonhomie and... and um, but it's all rather distant and a little bit sentimental and doesn't really get to the heart of the person. And doesn't take them then seriously, yeah. does it? Yeah. Because God's love for us is very serious, isn't yeah. it, it, actually? It's serious, and it's, and it's searching in the sense that it, precisely, be, you know, as you were saying, Jane, it doesn't leave us as we are. It's not content to leave us as we are. Therefore, God's love is a sort of, quite a sort of, you know, it's often described as a fire. It's a sort of burning, uh, refining, can be kind of, painful thing but mm. sometimes we think love is as this sort of sentimental while well, everything's make sure everything's all right type thing um and it's a love that wants the best for the person and therefore wants yeah. to draw the best out of the person yeah. i think the other thing that that is quite difficult to assimilate about it is of course that god loves you as much as he loves me um and no, that's a problem that is a problem isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and that therefore god also god wants the best for us, but also for us in relation to other people. Mm. Um, and that is, that is something that we, we perhaps don't have enough experience mm. of as human beings, mm. that, that mm. kind of love that actually wants a, the whole human community to flourish, which will mean that some of us have to do without the things that we think mm. we want, mm. and that may yeah. not feel like love. I think that's right. I think it's, I sometimes think it's, it, you know, we often hear, you know, the, the heart of the gospel is the message that God loves you. And that's, but in a way that's half of the, gospel a part of it you know the, the realization of, of coming to faith in christ i think is, is partly the realization that god loves me but it's also the realization that god loves everybody else as much mm. as he loves me yes. and therefore it because if it's just god loves me it can become a very narcissistic quite inward sentimental thing whereas if it's along with that recognition that god loves everybody else just as much as he loves me comes this 
necessity for me to love those people in the same kind of way and i think part of our problem is that we see love as being a bit like a cake that the more you get the less i get whereas i don't think love Mm. is like that at all i think love is much more like a muscle that the more you train it in the gym the stronger it is for everything else Mm. so the the more god loves you the more he loves me and 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 the fact that he loves you in no way Mm. compromises diminishes Mm. belittles Mm. his love for me uh, and actually, the more I respond, the more you benefit. <laughs> it, it's a much more communal thing mm. than that. Mm. Yeah. When you said muscle, I thought I was suddenly thinking of seafood for a, for a minute. I was trying to work out how the love of God is like a <laughs> small... <laughs> <laughs> Which might give you food poisoning. I think that's an analogy, probably. Whereas too, I got distracted by the thought of any cake which I had more of than you did, Mike. <laughs> 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 but that's idea. very seldom the case. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Well, it, we have it does some. Um, I mean, it relates a little bit to, to another question. Which, um, I can I, just before you yeah, move on, on, on yeah. I, um, there was a question about John three sixteen, and is that the gospel? And I suppose, uh, I suppose, I think I want to say it's part of the gospel. It's one aspect of the gospel. The gospel is a very multifaceted thing, um, and a lot of things come into the gospel. The fact that the kingdom of God has arrived in the person, ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus is um, the gospel. Uh, One John says, this is our message that God is light and in him there is no darkness Mm. at all. The goodness Mm. of God Mm. is uh, is part of the gospel. Um, Part of the gospel is the the resurrection that we're um, awaiting. Part of it is the community that we've been given. There's a vast... Mm multifaceted mm. nature to the gospel and, yeah. and we draw on different aspects of this uh, at mm. different states and conditions and times of our lives mm. it seems to me but that foundational statement that the world is made out of the love of god that it's it it's yes. made because god loves it is a pretty yeah. good i think it's quite a good starting, starting point, point. <laughs> i agree yeah and that's quite distinctive isn't it from many other yeah. visions of how the world came exactly. into being yes if you look at other creation stories in other yeah or, or even the story of how we came to be in the mind of the modern atheists. Yeah. We did not emerge out of the love of God. We emerged out of conflict rather yeah. than out yeah. of harmony and love. Yeah, or, yeah. or, or blind chance or, or, blind or, or random yeah. processes, yes. and, and, and which is a very different thing from saying we emerged yes. out of love. Yeah. And a lot it's of like the... a child being born into a family where the child was born in, into and out of the love of the parents as opposed to a child that's born into nothing. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of the pagan myths suggest that we come out of violent conflict yeah. between the gods and a monster, or the gods and other gods. Yeah. Um, we suggesting we're characterised by violence and made for violence in some way. Whereas yeah. the vision of uh, the Trinity being the love out of which love yeah. given and love received, out of which we are yeah. born and, uh, and for which we are born, suggests yeah. a very different vision of what it is to be human and how we work as human beings. And that really is distinctive, isn't it? And I yes. think sometimes as Christians we forget how much that tells us about the whole purpose of our being. Yes. Mm. Well, we may touch on the Trinity side of things a little bit later on, but um, I guess what we've been talking about so far relates to another email that came in from... Um, uh, Nicholas Carter from London, which is this question. So following a recent discussion with a friend, I'm wondering what um, the team's views are on Christian universalism. Uh, so I understand there's evidence to suggest that this viewpoint was widely held by the early church. Uh, could it be that God will eventually redeem all his creation through the saving death and resurrection of Christ, or is this incompatible with Scripture? Um, and I feel it's related to the unconditional love of God mm-hmm. question, because yep. mm-hmm. it's... 
is raising the question, well, does the un- if, if God's love is in one sense unconditional, he loves each one of us unconditionally, it's not dependent on anything inside ourselves, it's not triggered by any particular quality or action that we have or, or do, it's something that derives precise, pre- you know, entirely from the heart of God, and it's not conditioned by its object, it's, it's something which is God's love that is there for everybody. Does that therefore mean that he will one day redeem and save the whole world and every person and all of it uh, and so on? Uh-huh. Um, which I guess is what Christian universalism suggests. Um, and I guess that you know there are texts in Scripture that might lead in that direction. I think of you know, Romans 6 where Paul talks about... Um, as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, which kind of implies that, you know, the fall has affected everybody in Adam, and somehow the work of Christ is going to affect everybody uh, so that everyone will be saved just as everyone is fallen. Um, it seems to me that the texts in Scripture that do um, sort of press towards universalism are all to do with the scope of the work of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Um, and that in that sense, you know, any reconciliation that is going to happen between humanity and the world will be through the work of Jesus Christ um, and that much one can say and that 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 is potentially available for all created beings yeah Um, but then the other thing you have to say is something that Mike has already said which is about God not forcing people and that's that that being part of God's love Tom Torrance uh, used to say the great Tom Torrance used to say there are two kind of equal and opposite errors in this area. One is to say uh, that Christ died for all and therefore all will be saved. And the other is to say that some are going to be saved and therefore Christ died for some. Yeah. Mm. And the, the error they both have in common, it seems to me, is um, to believe that God always gets what he wants. That because mm. God wants a, person, mm. a particular person to be saved, they will be. That mm. seems to me to diminish the genuine freedom and otherness mm. uh, of, of the person. Um, mm. And that's, I think, the problem with Christian universalism. One, one can hope for it, one can work for it, um, but one can't state it as a, as, a, as a doctrine, as a belief, because it depends upon genuine freedom, radical yeah. freedom that each of us has, yeah. and which God then respects. I suppose people who, who feel very strongly about universalism, in favour of it, um, would argue that it is hard to imagine that people who really met God, who really encountered the true and living God, could actually reject mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that a lot of the rejection of God uh, that we experience in this life is because people haven't met the true and living God for all kinds of reasons to do with the way they've been brought up, to, to, to do with the way that God has been presented to yes. them and so on. And that you know, if they are actually given a chance, um, they, they are bound to love mm-hmm. what is... The and, foundation of the universe. And that brings in the question of, well, it seems a little bit unfair that some of us do get the chance to to hear about and to, to encounter the, the true God yeah. through really vibrant Christian community or experiences or whatever, but others don't. And therefore it can seem a little bit unfair that some of us mm. get that chance and, and others don't. And, and I'm sure that when confronted with who God is, people who've been presented with God in a completely inadequate and distorted way um it the very meeting with god will reveal what their actual attitude yes. towards him has been yes. which may be very different from mm. their stated attitude yes. uh, because if your whole experience of god mm. has been warped by 
the way some crass Christian presented him, uh, and you therefore mm. say, I don't like that God. Um, when you actually meet with him, there may be some surprises Indeed. in store. As yeah. there will be for some of us who think... Well, exactly, <laughs> and that's what the parable in Matthew yes. 25 suggests. Well, I, I think that, that parable is very, is very interesting, the sheep and the goats one, because it seems to me it says two things. We're talking here about the Matthew 25, 31 onwards, which is Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats. Because um, on the one hand, it says there will be huge surprises on the day of judgment, you know, because he says to the... Um, you know, to, to the, I mean, it is the dividing of, a, of sheep and goats, and it was quite difficult in kind of first century sort of um, agrarian life to tell what was a sheep from a goat because they don't look they look quite similar. Um, and I suppose the whole part of the point of that story is to say it's actually very difficult for us to tell mm. who is going to be in and who's going to be out, as it were. That is in the hands of God, yes. and therefore we must be very tentative about any judgments we make on other people um so whether they will be saved or, or not it, and that seems to be what the parable is saying you, you can't always tell that you know and because you get this bit where jesus talks about um you know he will he will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world for i was hungry and you gave me something to eat i was thirsty you gave me something to drink i was a stranger and you invited me in and so on then the righteous will answer him lord when do we see you hungry um, then he says, what you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters are mine, you did for me. And then mm. you get the same the other way around. So in other words, it's, it's kind of saying, you know, God knows who are his. We can't tell. There will be all kinds of surprises on that day. At the same time, though, it, it, it also, you know, repeats the reality of a judgment, it seems mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the one passage that talks about how tentative we need to be about passing judgments on other other people's salvation or not is the very passage that also says well actually there is a a judgment um there are distinctions to be made and that but god is the only one capable of making them because he only he alone knows the whole story he alone knows the heart of people he alone knows how a person's heart responds to his reality rather than just the appearance of it which sometimes comes through our presentation of the gospel and of course the verse that we were looking at earlier john three sixteen. Mm-hmm says God so loved the world uh, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and that suggests that there is there's the potential of yeah yeah n- not believing and, mm. and not having eternal life so I mean it, yeah yeah and it, it was interesting what you mentioned earlier on Mike about the you know the tendency of some Christians to say well because Jesus died because only some will be saved maybe Jesus only died for some yes which is the sort of classic Calvinist limited atonement kind of idea and you can kind of see where that's coming from it's it's i think it came out of the desire that that god's work is effective and that it does what it says on the tin you know <laughs> it, it actually does what its purpose is and it's not wasted but i think at the end of the day it does i mean it falls short of I mean, a couple of bits of scripture like 1 timothy 2 where it talks about um you know god our savior who wants all people to be saved yes there's a clear statement there. That's his desire for all people to be saved. It's not so saying that all people will be saved, but his desire is that all will be saved. And 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 I guess that's part of love that you sometimes it does get projected. Yes, and mm. the, a, a religion that focuses upon the cross should know yeah. that. Mm. Yeah. But I suppose yeah. you know from our, our practical day-to-day Christian living point of view, 
It isn't our job to go around and decide who is and isn't saved. Nope. Mm. Mm. It is our job to make God as real and 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 alive and attractive yeah. Yeah. as possible so people actually get a chance to meet God. Yes. And to live with him in the present. Um, because that's, that's a, part, yeah. a huge part of it. It isn't just about sort of the next life or the, the life beyond this one. It's actually about this life and how life is lived. That's what Christian faith is. And, and the parable for. would suggest that how you live it out towards particularly the weakest and the most yeah. vulnerable and the most in need. Yeah. Um, that if you are genuinely in touch with the love of God, then you are going to be a conduit mm. for that love. Yeah. Exactly. It ties in with the discussion we were having about the love of God, doesn't yes. it? For God... If, if we know that God loves us, we know that he loves the other people too yes. and we'll want to share that love with them. And that will about shape some, our living and our... Yeah. Well, you, you, people, you both know more about this than I do, but um, what about Karl Barth? He has some great sort of interesting thoughts on universalism, didn't he? Was he a universalist? Karl Barth always said, I am not not a universalist. In a typical <laughs> Barthian fashion. <laughs> Um, in that his emphasis on the saving work of Christ did lead him to believe that that is a real possibility that all mm. will be saved because he just found the overwhelming love of God so extraordinary that he mm. found it hard to believe anybody would be able to resist it. The, he, one, of the, one of the sort of roots of his theology was um, he said, if God can forgive me, he can forgive anybody. Mm. And I think that's mm. actually quite a good place mm -hmm. to start, mm -hmm. yeah. knowing one's own complete dependence on the, you know, the gratuitous gift of God's yeah. love and forgiveness. God, that if God can do that for us, yeah. He it's can do it for anybody. Yeah. It's quite a Pauline uh, thought, isn't it? You know, yeah. being the worst of sinners, and if grace can reach me, it can reach anybody. As as, as with uh, always with Bart. Even when you disagree with him, especially when you disagree mm. with him, he's, he's incredibly provocative, makes you think the thing through afresh. Mm. Um, but where I find him particularly helpful is in, in the whole area of um, election, the, mm. the, the, where he insists that Christ is the elect one, yep. and we become elect insofar as yep. we are part of Christ, um, which I think is, is actually exactly what's going on in Ephesians 1 and a really helpful way of of seeing it and in Romans isn't it yes the, yes. the Adam Christ distinction either we can be part of a human race bound for death or we can yes. be part of the human race that is mm. made for us in Christ and what, it, what election gives us is not just um, <coughs> Christ's future but also his past his eternal rootedness in the love mm. uh, and chosenness mm. of the father mm. Mm. Um, so that mm. becomes ours when we become part of Christ it's not God wants some and not others. It's that He <laughs> wants Christ and a whole people within Christ. Yeah, yeah. A large family, Paul says, doesn't he? Yes. Many brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I do suspect. I don't know about you, but I, I suspect they'll. I mean, I, I guess along with the Matthew twenty-five passage, not only will there be many surprises, but I, I sort of have this hunch that there'll be a lot more people there than we think. Yeah. Yes. Um, who are part of the new creation? Who are part of the resurrection? That, and a lot of people we've never liked. <laughs> I suspect. That's right. <laughs> Present company not accepted it. No, 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 no. And and then, uh, but hopefully, in the light of the love of Christ, we will suddenly see why they are lovable. Yes, and that will be part of our transformation as well as theirs, won't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we're we're saying, trying to sum it up, that and there's a part of us that would love Christian universalism to be true. Yes, that God's love would reach and transform and redeem every part of creation and every person in it um and maybe as jane was saying maybe that there is a sense that that um when you know, if people do have a, a chance to, to kind of know something of the 
sheer depth and power of the love of God, it will transform all. But I, I guess we're saying we, we can't ultimately say that because of the gift of freedom that God will not force us into his kingdom. He will not force us against our will. He will not make us. He gives us the dignity of yes. rejecting him. And that possibility has to remain. And um, if there's, this is my kind of field, I guess, um, but if there's any reality to the original kind of uh, rebellion of Satan, then it mm. is possible to be in the direct presence of yeah. God and yeah. yet to reject it and yeah. to say no. Yeah. So I think Christian universalism needs to be a missionary impetus yeah. and a whole life impetus rather than yeah. a settled doctrine, mm. I guess. Mm. Yeah. As it was in the time of Jesus too, it was possible mm. to be in the presence of Jesus yes. and to reject God him. incarnate and thoroughly to reject yeah. him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, there's lots of interesting things we could say about that. Uh, but I think our time is gone, doesn't it? I fear it has. It has. That's right. Um, so anyway, it was, that was, uh, I enjoyed that. Thank you for those um, uh, emails that came in. They are uh, such good questions. They we are get very good questions. Yeah, very good questions. Yes. We've got a whole Shame other... about the answers, but the questions <laughs> are great. Shame <laughs> <laughs> we don't get around to them for several months. <laughs> it's because each one is so good that we spend whole God pods looking That's at right. each one. <laughs> we do have, for the sake of listeners, we have a kind of pile of bits of paper here of emails that have come in. And um, we just we do kind of pick out ones that we think are really interesting to do. It doesn't mean or to that say we the think we know else. anything about it at no, all. That's true. <laughs> um, so do keep sending them in. We can't guarantee that we'll we'll answer your question, but um, we will uh, pick out ones that we think are, give us a chance to witter on for a little bit about <laughs> which um, we enjoy. We really enjoy uh, <laughs> too. So. Um, just uh, before saying goodbye, in case uh, our listeners are hunting their way through Romans 6 in 25 different translations and the original Greek, um, I think the verse that Graham mentioned was probably 1 Corinthians 15. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Touche. Well <laughs> there is similar stuff in Romans 6. There is. There is, indeed. There is, yes. indeed. There is yeah. yeah. But you're probably quite right. I repent in dust and ashes of my ignorance of the Bible. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I think it was just a slip of the tongue. Well, you meant you to go. say 1 Corinthians 15. It just came out as Romans 6. Yeah, actually, no, it's Romans, actually, it's Romans 5, I meant, actually. Because there's stuff about Adam and Christ in Romans 5. Yes, but is. precisely the, the verse I mentioned is, you're quite right, it's 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. He's only a church historian. Yeah, I don't know much about these things. We could get Keith to go through and edit out all, <laughs> all my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> that would be uh, that would be important. So anyway, thank you, Jane. It's nice to be here. And Mike as it's well. It's a pleasure. And uh, we will um, be back again for GodPod 46 before too long. Goodbye. That was GodPod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.